Hey everybody, this is the show before the show, and I'm Armando Torres. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! And we've got a great episode for you, it's Paige's week, and this one is super, super funny and not at all sad at the end. It's very sad, I'm so it's sorry. It's a huge bummer. It's yeah. a bummer. It is uh, It is a great episode, bummer or not, it's super informative and very, very interesting, and um, the beginning is really fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's one of those ones where it's, I mean, it's a cult. I think it's, people need to hear it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's 100%. why I was like, even as I got into it and I was like, oh, this is going to be a bummer. But I'm just like, the people need to know. Yeah. But before we subject you to that, we have some more five star reviews. As <laughs> first one comes to us from somebody that says, please stop. Please stop bumming me out. Stop it. No, that's not a, <laughs> not a real one. That one's from Armando Torres. That's a five star review. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, it's totally okay. Our first one comes to us from your dad. Again? Nuh-uh. The title is I'm a reviewing boy reprise. So now this <laughs> is this, this is the thing. My dad claims that he has not left any of these reviews, and I don't know if he's just doing it and forgetting them. Or if someone is pretending to be my dad. This one comes to us on May 3rd, 2019, and they say, I promise I'm not your actual father, chief. Yeah, no, that's, it's not. I don't think it is. I think it's your, my leading bet is your sister. Um, Maybe, but I doubt it. They also continuously use an emoji that does not show up (laughs) in (laughs) iTunes. This next one comes to us from Goddess Hecate. Hecate? Hecate, the goddess of the harvest? Oh, sometimes the harvest needs a second to pronounce Or is she the goddess of the hearth? This one comes to us from goddess Tecate. (laughs) Uh, Goddess of magic and witchcraft, night, moon, ghosts, and necromancy. Ooh, I prefer goddess Tecate, which is the the goddess of hangovers in the morning. (laughs) This one comes to us from (laughs) goddess Tecate, and the title is very useful. This podcast is great. I've been looking for a good instructional guide for starting my own cult. And with cult podcasts, I can combine study and play. I love the breadth of cults they cover. It really helps me see all the pitfalls I should avoid as I start to recruit and murder. Oh, no! Dad, no! (laughs) When our cult takes over the world, Paige, Armando, and Andrea will be the last on the sacrificial list. Oh, thank God! That's good. Okay, great. great. That's real good. We have to make a plan to overthrow you, but it'll be fine. (laughs) But also, who is. Okay, who is pretending to be my dad, though? (laughs) I'll never tell, Chief. No, that'd be great. That'd be the ultimate twist. <laughs> well, no, it would be the ultimate twist is if my dad has pretended not to know how to leave an iTunes review this entire time <laughs> and then reveal that it was all a prank. But I don't think it is because dad is not a Mac person and hates anything with Apple stuff. He doesn't like Apple products? He doesn't. He's not a Mac daddy? He's not a Hello! Mac daddy. <laughs> hey, and with that, I that want to say, uh, we love you. This is going to be a great episode. Thank you so much. Um, you're the best. Mm, hello. Hello. Don't drink the cool 
purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm, organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership, organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers, organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships, and organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! And it's my week! It is my week. First of all, thank you everyone for getting us to 400,000 downloads. Yeah! Super awesome. Uh, we love all of you. We couldn't do it without you. I mean, we could, but it'd be way less fun. Yeah, I'd have to download it on an iPhone, four hundred thousand different iPhones. <laughs> yes. I also, I don't really have a good conceptualization of how big that number is, but I know it's a lot. But my brain's too small to really understand it. <laughs> um, it's it's enough that more than once someone's been like, "Oh my God, you have a podcast about colds? Which one is it?" And I've said, "Cult podcast," and they said, "Oh, I already listened to that." So that like that's a wildly large amount of podcasts. That's yeah. hilarious. And I know. I was like, adorable. does my voice sound that different? It must. So I had an old coworker go uh, from when I worked at Legoland. Uh, he goes, hey, do you are you on Colt podcast? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I thought I recognized your voice. And I was like, you didn't recognize me going. And this is Armando <laughs> Torres. <laughs> Uh, my sis, people recommend our podcast to my sister all the time. That's very funny. <laughs> That's amazing. We have different last names, so people don't know. And and so she's just like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like that's that. I, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mean the theme song I sing? <laughs> that is definitely me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So today we've got another cult from the Facebook group. Which, by the way, thank you so much. There's been like a massive onslaught of Facebook group cults. Thank yeah. you. If it wasn't for you guys, I'd have to join the Facebook group on 400,000 iPhones. <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, there have been so many that we didn't even know about. Like, because we have a list that we kind of go through. We also love, like, when you guys suggest stuff, diving in, reading it, and if it's awesome, trying to get it out as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, and this was the case here as well. So this actually came from Kristen in the Facebook group. Yay, Thank you, Kristen. Kristen. But this was also all over the news. So... If you saw it on the news, you might be familiar with it. The original article that we're using as one of our main sources is 9,000 words long. Wow. Yeah. I read all 9,000 of them and multiple times. Uh, so for those of you who clicked on it, you probably didn't read the whole thing. So I will encourage everyone, if you're interested, go back and read the whole thing because we are basically scratching the surface here, but there's so, so much and it is fascinating and terrifying and awful. I love those. I love when we start get to start off silly and then feel bad about every single joke we ever make. That's ever. 100% going to be this one. Dope, dope, dope. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, no. Um, before we dive into sources, let's actually address that. So uh, this one will definitely have its funny moments, but it is going to get very, very rough at points. And the leader of this group denies that any of this has ever happened. As as leaders are one to do. As they are one to do. Um, I'm going to be presenting information, but you will have to essentially come to a conclusion yourself as to whether or not this happened or mm. not. 
I am of the belief that this definitely happened. Okay. Um, that's just your alleged- opinion. That's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot of alleged. Yeah, let's just throw a big allegedly on the whole. Yeah, big I'm going to say episode. that New York Magazine is also of the belief that this definitely happened. I'm going to go ahead and say that New York Magazine allegedly exists. I'm going to go that far. <laughs> and and I'm realizing that we haven't said the name because this cult doesn't necessarily have a name, mm-hmm. uh, but it is Larry Ray and the Sloanum Woods Nine. Whoa. There's yes. very few good Larrys in the world, by There's the way. There's literally not. Where does this guy rank from, like, uh, Larry from Lars and the Real Girl being the best to, like, Larry the Cable Guy being the worst? He's definitely worse than Larry wow. the Cable Guy. Worse? Yeah, this dude does not even have 98 cent store fish fry batter. <laughs> What's this guy's name? Larry Ray? Larry Ray. Type, 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 Larry Ray. Oh, it says here he was on the... Uh, uh, says here he was on the Blue Collar Cult Leaders Tour. That's crazy. <laughs> it's just him and everyone from Elohim City. Does he also have jokes about kissing his sister, or is that... Well, uh, if, you, <laughs> if you replace sister with other family members, potentially, yes. If you oh, kiss no. your family members, you might be, be a, a cult, cult leader. <laughs> this is also one of those things where, I don't know if you guys have ever done this. Have you ever looked at pictures of school shooters? Like their like, mug shots? Not um, really. Yeah. No. I look at, randomly when I'm pooping, I will look what? up. Randomly when I'm pooping, thank you, let me finish my sentence. I will look up uh, pictures of people and then just the word now. And so I've looked up many criminals and like famous, uh, like mm. like true crime figures and just been like now and seen what they look like. But most of the time when they pass away, like most school shooters do during the event, you just get like mug shots of them. Yeah. I feel like Armando pooping is the truest form of Armando. <laughs> it's like yeah. a whole secret other self that he hides. I have two poop modes. I either, I either poop normally and it's fine and I'm just on my phone reading and researching stuff. Or I have poops that are so bad that I start to believe in God. Where I'm like, I will be a better person if you just f- let me get this poop out of me. Like a poop possession. A poop session, if you will. We have to exercise. I'm trying to exercise. Oh, jeez. Um, w- the point I was trying to make the before we talked about soft serving your waste into the toilet uh, is sometimes when I look at a like mugshot or something of somebody that I know has done something fully evil. Naughty. Oh yeah. <laughs> it it comes through in the photo. Yeah. You yeah. can see the naughty in I felt eyes. that way about Charles Manson because I I'd never Oh he's really, a real naughty boy. I'd never really seen photos of him, but like there's like a a missing there's like a missingness yes. in their eyes that's yeah. really scary. Him and Ted Bundy both like oh, yeah. as soon when people are like he's so handsome I was like to see what this fucking guy looks like and then i'm like holy shit what the fuck are you so, talking about have you what's that the movie that just came out by the way oh um uh shockingly evil and vile uh shockingly evil it's, vile there, it's and, something, and it's, really really naughty okay naughty right. boy it's enough um there's one school shooter in particular and i don't remember his name but the mugshot haunts me the pictures of this dude scare me in the same way Hmm. and like before i even officially knew the scope of the cult looking at pictures of him i was like he's not right can you can we see yes okay yeah for those playing along at home we're looking up a picture of larry ray that's l-a-r-r-y space r-a-y so that you can see who we're talking so here's a mug shot i'm realizing that there's a privacy screen on my computer from work i'll look it up 
Here's the one they used for the article. Oh, my God. Doesn't it come through in the photo? It's so scary. He's a terrifying man. And this is early in the article, so you don't even know the full extent of what he did yet. Oh, God. Oh my god, he looks like an he looks like an evil world version of Shell Silverstein. He looks like actual Doctor Evil. I was gonna oh say he looks like he has a book about how to take over the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like For that kids. looks like the author's like the the inside the cover of a paper like of a hardback book. You know, where you're yeah. like the author said, and but it's how to murder others and have sex yeah, with so your it, family members. Suffice to say, he is a he looks very naughty. Okay. Uh, what is this naughty thing? Is this like that's wh- what I'm? I've I've realized that uh, when you call somebody evil, it makes them seem like a legend. But no one can be a legend and also be naughty. Okay. I was thinking more evil, like the fruits of the devil. But Ooh. that's just me. The the devil really is the naughtiest boy. Okay. All right. So wait a minute. Is evil just the devil without the D? Yeah. But I thought the D was what was the most evil part. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> you think from everything I'm saying that I'm high, but I'm not, and I'm sorry about it. Sometimes everything. it's really hard to sit through your chest. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, so hard right now. Yeah, Andrea, that joke wasn't just bad. It was naughty. It was a naughty okay, joke. Okay, take everything out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so this is one of those cases where... I mean, even though the leader is terrifying, he's also fucking ridiculous and very roastable, and we will definitely make fun of him. Uh, it's also my opinion that he's a liar and a manipulator and not even a good liar. Like, his lies are bad. He's bad at lying. Uh, his lies are worse than the guy who did Firefest. Like, it's so bad. <laughs> um, he's like if Frank from Always Sunny was evil. And I realize that as I'm saying this, that Frank on Always Sunny in Philadelphia has owned a sweatshop, and that's like a character arc. (laughs) But this guy is, in my mind, somehow still worse. Like, he's really You don't have to sell us on it. He's a very naughty, naughty boy. Um, But no matter how crazy he is and how crazy his lies are, I really want to highlight that there are real victims here. Mm Mm-hmm. And they don't deserve to be made fun of. And they should have all of our support to hopefully someday get out. And then also support for the people who've already gotten out that were willing to speak out. And those that weren't willing to speak out. Because this dude is awful. Um, I'm going to talk a lot about why no one should believe this dude. and Or people like him. Uh, but I also don't want to blame the members of this group for buying into it. Because I feel like... In you my sh- opinion. You want us to, like, learn from the mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I want us to learn from... Well, not even mistakes. I understand why they bought into what they did, but mm-hmm. I do want to make sure that no one does it again. Gotcha. Um, in my opinion, he targeted vulnerable people in vulnerable situations and subjected them to verbal, financial, and at times even physical abuse, according to the stories of his victims who have been able to get out. In my opinion, he is a cancer, but that's kind of an insult to cancer. Whoa. Yeah. So, to start, here are our sources. Our main source, and definitely a great place to start if you're interested in this group, is New York Magazine's The Cut article. 
It's called The Lost Children of Sarah Lawrence. This article is actually co-written by a student that was around at the same time, but didn't live with the group and was only very, very tangentially aware of the group prior to starting research for the article, but he provides some pretty valuable insight to the campus at the time. We're also going to talk a fair amount about 9-11 in this episode, uh, specifically some of the local New York politics at the time and as a result of the attacks. So some of you might know and some of you might not, uh, but Armando was too young to remember the attacks. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember shit. And most of the immediate aftermath you also don't remember. So this will, some of it will probably be new info for you. Yeah, we lived in, I lived in Los Angeles uh, when it happened, but we lived I went to school and lived in a suburb at that point. Mm -hmm. So, like, we weren't even... I don't even... I think we didn't go to school. I think that's what happened. I mean, you were also five? If if that? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I would have been five. I would have been five years old. You were very young. I actually calculated that you were roughly the same age as my mom was when Kennedy died. Huh. But my mom actually has a pretty vivid memory of her mom crying in front of the television when oh, that happened. I thought you were going to say a pretty vivid memory of who did it. And I was like, damn. She knows. <laughs> Leave that in a review. Right. No. Uh, <laughs> but Great so- podcast. It was the Grassy Knoll guy. Oswald was innocent. Uh, the FBI orchestrated the hit against John. If you can no, solve no, any I, crime, I think it was actually it was probably one of the Secret Service people in the car, and it was an accident. That oh, I've heard very, that. Yeah. yeah, that's a good, interesting theory. I, uh, if you want to leave a review, and also you have information that could solve a crime, definitely do it there. Yeah, don't call the police. Definitely just leave <laughs> it on our five star reviews. Um, so. Uh, you, but you were too young to even if you do remember to comprehend what times were like at the time i was i think 13 andrea i'm guessing you were close to was, the same i was in eighth grade i remember yeah so like 13 so, i think yeah. i was in eighth grade as well um so our source is continuing and this will be in part some of the 9-11 information as well as the more modern information we've got newsweek the washington post huffington post i know uh but it's only for this one conspiracy theory that we're going to address it at some point <laughs> Uh, it's an article on potentialism theory. You're welcome. Uh, Complex, thestandard.co.uk, CNN, Twitter, Amazon reviews of the self-published book, Homo Thug, The Secret Life of Rudy Giuliani. What? 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 We'll get to it. NBC, ABC, MSN, and Fox, essentially all major news outlets in the U.S. that were available circa 2010, as well as sarahlawrence.edu. Are you ready? Yeah. Let me get my seatbelt on. Uh, We're going to start in 2010 in the dorms of Sarah Lawrence. Sarah Lawrence is a private liberal arts college in Yonkers, New York, if you're not aware. It was originally founded in 1926 as a private women's college, but began admitting men under the GI Bill and has been a co-ed school ever since. If you're a huge fan of The Notebook... Mm -hmm. It factors in as a plot point in the notebook that Rachel McAdams is going away to Sarah Lawrence, and that's why she can't stay behind and have awesome hot sex with Ryan Gosling. I would go to the local community college to have super hot sex with Ryan Gosling. I mean, for sure. Why not? Also, the Sarah Lawrence College, their uh, college slogan is, we're learning here. (laughs) It's, It's not. It's, you're different, so are we. If wow. you want to get an understanding of the type of students we are dealing with. Okay. Basic, uh, the kind that would listen to this show. A lot of horse girls. <laughs> nice. it's, it's, there's definitely a lot of horse girls. I would say 
a lot of, you know, diversity and very liberal arts, if okay. you want to go that way. Uh, they offer both on and off campus housing. One of their on campus housing options was a two store dormitory house known as Slonem Woods Number no. Nine. Talia Ray started college at Sarah Lawrence in 2009. She was slightly older than the other students, and I'll explain why uh, a little bit later in the episode. And she was kind of the leader of her group of friends. Everything seemed pretty normal, except for Talia's family life. Talia seemed to have no relationship with her mother or her younger sister, but she spoke about her father with an almost godlike worship. Ruh-roh. A little questionable for sure. Talia had allegedly organized all of the campus housing for her and her housemates, which if you've ever been to a four-year school, your sophomore year, you do have a little more freedom sometimes, I mean, depending on where you're going, on organizing your housing. So that's usually when people clump together into friend groups and then sign up for housing together. So I'm just saying this if any of you have not been to a four-year university and you're like, what? Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because none of us have... We all went to college. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm doing this for you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Because my, my college's actual slogan was, we're learning here! <laughs> exactly. We were the fighting hands on the yellow cab. <laughs> was our <laughs> when you said we're learning here, I'm just like, are they only training people to be Pizza Hut employees? Because the... <laughs> Hey, and Jimmy John's delivery guys. <laughs> Jimmy guys. John's delivery guys. Um, so she had kind of done a lot of the organizing for getting her friends together all into the same house. Okay. Um, we'll talk in just a little bit about kind of the ins and outs of how this may have worked. She uh, She's a freshman now? She's a freshman. Okay. But she's two years she, older than everyone else. Yeah, she's a couple okay. years older than everyone Well, I don't know if it's a full couple years, but she is a little older than everyone else. Okay. Um, we don't have a definite amount but she's a little older than everybody else and she's the one who's kind of like okay guys for next year we're all gonna live together and we're gonna live together in this house it's gonna be great it's gonna be great we're all gonna move to vista del norte and it's gonna be great in my experience uh not my personal experience (laughs) but in my experience of like why like having friends that go to college or knowing college students what happens is freshman year, you find a bunch of group of friends that you want to live with forever. Sophomore year, you move in. Uh, middle of sophomore year, you realize you hate everyone. <laughs> and then junior year, you get randomly placed with somebody else and you learn to tolerate them and then live together because you guys can kind of get along until you leave college. That's actually a like pretty... I would agree that that is a fairly normal college yeah. living situation. Um, so they're, they're still living... This is... At this point in the story, they're still in the dream of like, we're going to yeah. live together. We're best friends for life. Yes, this is the dream. Nice. So they uh, they they organize housing. They're all going to live in Sloan Woods 9. It's her and seven housemates. And it sounded like from the story that they basically had the house to themselves, which kind of sounded like if you lived in the dorms or on campus housing, There are a couple different kinds of on-campus housing. Sometimes you'll have, like, a giant, like, dormitory hall where there's, like, 400 people all living in the same building. Yeah, the glorified prison cells. Exactly. Yeah, pretty Um, much. Sometimes you'll have more of what was the case at my school where they essentially build, like, house, like, kind of complexes where you have suites. Mm -hmm. And so you live with, like... 
call it 32 people to a house because each suite has like eight people and there's like four to eight suites depending on Mm -hmm. the size of your hall. Um, Then sophomore year, I moved into the sorority house, which was still on campus housing where it was 16 people. This sounds like it's a little more like the sorority house where it's kind of all one house. It's a two story and it sounds like they're all just kind of like they are the whole of this house. Okay. Kind of like, you know, like a couple people would move into like an apartment complex and be like, we're all this condo or whatever. So that's kind of what this sounded like. Okay. Um, but it is still an on-campus campus house. So uh, I actually was able to find some photos of the dorm and the inside and the accommodations there. And they had the same dorm furniture I did. <laughs> just like, because there's like a standard set. And I was just like, oh my God, that's, yeah, we had that exact wardrobe and those beds. And okay, all right, creepy. Yeah, that's the same beer bong. That's why. <laughs> oh, wait, this is my room. Um, Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. So it would seem that this group eventually took over what would have been the equivalent of like a suite. But it's a standalone um, and it seemed to have been a co-ed suite because there's guys and girls living there. Okay. Mm. Which in, let's see, in 2006, when I was in college, we had co- co-ed dorms, but our suites were mostly single yeah. gender. But there were some co-ed suites, just not in my building. Most colleges uh, now, the buildings are co-ed, but the rooms or suites themselves yeah. still, same thing. Yeah, that's right. how mine was. Yeah. yeah, okay. So in September of 2010, Talia's sophomore year, and early in the sophomore year, she informed her other housemates that her father would be moving in with them following his release from prison. Oh. Bitch, No! And no one said anything because she had talked about him like he was some great, amazing guy and that he was in prison, but he shouldn't have been and he had been wronged. And so everyone kind of let it happen. First of all, if someone is trying to like move an inmate into your housing situation without your consent, no. Yeah. Also, you need to let the campus know because there's no way any of that is allowed. So also, I'm about to get into that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Also, if anyone approaches you and they're like, hey, Rumi, just need to let you know, daddy's moving in. Daddy was not a naughty boy. Daddy was wrongfully naughty. It'd be a problem. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> she, I'm going to make It's so a, creepy. I'm going to call this right now and say that there's been at least five times she's referred to him as daddy before. Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, oh, now, this is going to get gross. This becomes a huge point of contention in this story. Oh, you fucking I fucking think? wonder why. Well, no, here's the thing. Not the way that you think. So many people have questioned why the school allowed a literal felon to move into a dormitory house when he was not enrolled as a student. Uh, the school... <laughs> It's not like Rodney Dangerfield up in here. He's just like got out of prison. And uh, so the school has given various answers to this. And I think there's kind of a complicated situation going on. So the school initially claimed to one of the housemates parents, according to the parents, that they cannot stop parents from visiting their children on campus. However, 
on Twitter, a student who was an RA at Sarah Lawrence around the same time claims that visitors were allowed for a maximum of three days. That is, uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's, yeah, I, that sounds similar to what I do. I've slept in a number of dorm rooms, and it's only been for consecutive events of three days. Yes, you're not allowed to stay past that. Yep. Also, they don't like it if you're somebody's daddy in any connotation. They don't want that. Right. Additionally, the school has also maintained that they had no record at all that Talia's father was actually living in the campus building. Although some of the materials obtained by New York Magazine, namely the interview with those parents, suggest that while they didn't know the scope of the situation, they may have had information that suggested that Talia's father was present more often than the alleged three days rule. So here's my theory based on some college examples. First, my freshman dorm had an extra roommate for an entire year and our RA didn't realize it. What? I am 100% serious. There was a kid who lived in my dorm. His name is Texas. He was never in our dorm. He just kind of like made friends with the people that lived there. And then he got expelled from school at one point, but just continued to live in our dorm and we didn't realize it well i mean i think we knew but the ra didn't realize it until the end of the year when he went to give out campus awards because they gave out like yay most dormy in the dorm i got like whatever so he went to go give an award to texas and texas was like hey man i don't actually live here though but he had been there a whole year If you've got a cool nickname and convince people that you're supposed to be there, you might be a cult leader. Yeah, and I'm guessing that part of why everyone's like, why the hell didn't anyone say something? They're assuming that an RA would have said something. But as I just mentioned, if your RA is shitty, sometimes somebody lives there for a full year and no one fucking knows about it. Yeah, RAs really... One out of five RAs are good at their job. here's another thing. So... The way that RAs work changes from school to school and from door to dorm. Now, in the sorority house, which is technically a campus house, our RA was a sorority sister. Mm -hmm. There was a rule that it had to be, which meant that, like, if there was a choice between them ratting you out to the other RAs or us dealing with it in-house, it got dealt with in-house. So no one got in trouble with actual RAs. Everything was dealt with at the sorority tribunal. Yeah. So whoa, like, what? whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah, for real, dude. Sorority tribunal. It was. It's a board. It's a board of people that like. <sighs> oh, decide, thank God! I thought you meant a people. board of wood. Well, I mean, those are around too, but they're not for punishing people. They're just decoration on the walls. <sighs> oh, thank God. Uh, anyway, uh, so I'm just saying, depending on who your RA is, like, especially if one of the housemates was the designated RA. They might not have said anything. Well, mm-hmm. and also, a lot of RAs are in it to have their own room with 100%. a door. 100%. Because I don't know about you guys, but sharing a room with anyone you're not having sex with is cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah. it's. I don't even understand why they do that. Like, I just, I didn't sleep every time I had a roommate. It was horrible. Um, One time, I went into my RA's room in the sorority house because she had caught me drinking, and then she was just like, hang on, and then just like, pulled a curtain back and had handles of drinks and was just like, what do you need for upstairs? <laughs> like, that's what we're dealing with here. So I am not surprised at all that this went unnoticed. One time uh, while I was uh, attending school, 
Uh, my RA came and busted me for smoking weed in my room. Uh-huh. Uh, and she was like, uh, Armando, you're 21 years old. You need to move out. I can't be your mother forever. Uh, <laughs> and I don't. it was just your mom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, finally. <laughs> so... Not only are there like RAs in houses a lot of the time. Yeah, well, I was just, I'm just, just imagining fun. him in his car and he just rolls the window up on her. <laughs> and she's like, "You gotta move out." Oh yeah, when I lived, when I lived in fine, a- I'm leaving. <laughs> when I lived in a car, my RA was a security guard in the Planet Fitness parking lot. <laughs> oh, he would come around every morning at 7 a.m. like an alarm clock, and he would always be like, "Roll down." window and i was like no you're just gonna yell at me i'm leaving and he's like roll it down and i would be like no (laughs) just start my car and drive away you don't have a gun and you're not the cops bye i would just roll it down a little and go see you tomorrow bye (laughs) (laughs) so while ra's also like live in your dorms they also usually have ra's that monitor buildings and walk through for like random checks yeah but they don't go in rooms unless they're suspecting illegal activity. Right. And they also don't really search a room unless you give them like a full on reason to search a room. I know this because I was underage at a frat party, at which point someone just shoved me into a closet until the RA came through and then let me back out of the closet. I'm All I'm saying is easy to hide shit. <laughs> Very. So my theory is that either the RA was involved and therefore complicit. Are you laughing at me being in the closet because I'm tiny? I'm laughing Trapped in at, the closet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing at that being the most hilarious but not literal coming out of the closet story. Right, right, right. They were Actually like, now literal. you can finish this beer pong game. Yeah. <laughs> um, we don't know who the RA was. Uh, only a handful of students were willing to speak for the interview. Uh, I also think that maybe there was no RA or they were negligent, didn't care, or just because nobody really reported her father living there, it seems like it wasn't caught. Although there is allegedly at least one or two instances of people reporting and school officials recognizing that he's on campus and a problem. Hmm. So it's kind of a, a weird mix of, I can definitely see how this went unnoticed. Hey, uh, I don't want to look. I don't want to ruffle any feathers or anything. But um, I live in uh, the nines, and uh, there's this guy named Larry who's just going around going, "Larry wasn't a naughty boy." <laughs> can we can we kick him out, please? And also, can we get better dish uh, uh, washing machines, please? <laughs> oh my god! Honestly, washing machines first, Larry second. Thank you so much. <laughs> So we also find out slightly later that Larry has another apartment available to him, but he's still choosing to live in the dorm. So I think it's possible that he was also going back and forth between the two houses, which would have drawn even less suspicion Mm -hmm. because then he truly is visiting. Regardless, in September of 2010, Larry Ray moved into his daughter Talia's dorm where he predominantly lived in the common room and slept on an air mattress in his daughter's bedroom. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Are we sure? Are we sure he wasn't? How do I say this? Are we sure that they didn't just need a ringer for beer pong and he was like the best? <laughs> He's just fucking <laughs> sinking it. Fucking bam. From the court. Um, no. Uh, he immediately started cooking steak dinners. Okay. Which does kind of sound like my dad. 
Okay. Yeah, it's fun. Well, so he fun. starts out doing regular dad shit. The thing Does is, he cook is... it for the whole dorm. Yes. Well, then that's why he stayed longer. Yeah, that's why. Uh, and better. he was ordering takeout for Talia and all her friends. Yeah, that's. It's, I figured it's it out. Hardcore dad shit. You know. Yeah. No, of course nobody's gonna say shit. Free food. Hey, I got mushu pork for daddy. Is there a daddy here? <laughs> daddy. Daddy. Uh, he would then, over these meals, talk to them at length about his time as a CIA operative. Okay. okay. How he allegedly retrieved weapons from the black market. Sure. And okay. allegedly helped institute a ceasefire in Kosovo. And he would preach at length about the values of the Marine Corps and name dropped uh, all of the famous generals he knew. Okay. He was known to frequently ask students at the house if they, quote, could defend themselves and, quote, how much they worked out. He's officially a do you even lift bro dad. Like, it's ridiculous. He's so dad that he's naming famous generals. I don't know a single famous general. Here's the thing. In the article, there was a list of famous generals. And I'm like, I don't know who the fuck these people are. Let me see that. Oh, General Allen? He's the bad boy of the group. Okay, oh, so General oh. Allen, he's like, yeah, I, I don't even need war. Yeah, I can, I mean, like, I could bomb a country, but I could also <laughs> bomb a sweet hill on my Razor scooter. <laughs> okay. That was him landing a kickflip. <laughs> I'm going to go hang out with Larry at the dorm. Peace. At this point, though, he's just a dad buying everyone food and talking too much. Yeah. Nothing too weird it's weird it's weird but also whatever as a a poor person with several roommates i can tell you that the best and i mean the absolute best is when anyone's dad comes yeah Mm -hmm. and so that for an extended period of time for a while would seem like the best thing ever because yeah oh 100 steak dinners i use i college students live off of cups of noodles yeah oh yeah yeah. oodles and oodles of cups of noodles my dad would come visit and take us all out for like cheesecake factory and crazy shit yeah and like it was the best i mean like anytime your parents were in town and you were like hey anybody want to go like everyone wants to go for yeah, sure. it's a thing. Like it's so fun when they come to poor people's houses because my mom would just be like, "Who wants to go buy toilet paper?" and the whole house would be like, like "Dude, that's yes! sick." They're like, "Who's got a Costco card?" No, oh, shit. He also started cleaning the house, like cleaning the dorm for the students, and okay. basically functioning like everyone's dad. Yeah. Okay. So okay. it's one of those things where, like, as you're getting into it, you're like, I mean, it's creepy that he just got out of prison and is sleeping on an air mattress, but also. I haven't had to clean the bathroom. Like, yeah. it's so great. Steaks and vacuuming. This is all I want. It's it's like being at home again. And remember, these are sophomores. They've only been away from home for a year. Right. Yeah. This They are still new. They probably just went home for the summer. Now they're back. This isn't like trying to do this to juniors and seniors who have been independent and don't want to come home. I never went home for the summer. <laughs> I went home once and then never went home again. I Yeah, I couldn't do it. I was just like, wait, a 10 p.m. curve for you? You know when I'm an adult and have had sex, right? I didn't have a curfew when I went back. Uh, and also, the summer that I went back, my family went to England without me. <laughs> the what? Yeah, they just Sick. left me alone at the house for like three weeks. And then when they came back, I... Uh, flew down to Southern California for like a week to hang out with the few of my sorority sisters that were still there during the summer. 
and they took me to my first comedy show. So I be like for staying coming home for the summer, I barely. Yeah. And then I never sense. came home again. But uh what wasn't so normal was the extended philosophical talks that Larry would give every night. Right, right. Of the housemates that were in the house, two of them, Claudia and Santos, had previously attempted, and these are names are changed to protect their identity. Okay. They were good. changed in the article. These are the only names we have. Great. Uh, Claudia and Santos had previously, as- previously attempted suicide. Isabella had just been through a bad breakup. And Daniel was questioning his sexuality. So there's a lot Damn. of turmoil. Turmoil. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a CW show up in there. Yeah, for real. And on, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the like, most accurate description. This is the uh, the opposite of Seventh Heaven. <laughs> yeah. Previously on Teens and Daddy. Oof. Oh. On one of these nights, Larry allegedly told them that they had all come together because they have a shared obsession with taking their own lives. Oh. That's a weird no, thing to say to people, no, regardless no. of whose daddy you are. I'm pretty sure we just got lumped together in the housing uh, yeah. decider. The well, I mean, they, they all became friends, and then as friends, they chose the house. But So Larry then told the housemates... How do they, real quick, do they pick which where you stay by using a sort of a sorting hat style technology? No. Where they place like a, a hat on top of you and it goes, you, stoners! You and do then like, you go hang out over there. First choice, second choice, third yeah. choice. And it goes based on a lot of times like seniority and oh. how good your grades are. Yeah, no, it's almost always grades. But also, if you're in certain campus clubs, sometimes it'll give you priority. Yo, what's up? I'm Kevin. I'm in chess dog. club. I got a Costco card. Fucking fuck with me, dude. Yeah. There's also, if you've already got, like, if your club owned a house, like a sorority or something, and you were trying to get into that okay. house, depending on how many people wanted to live in, they would then choose by their own set of rules. But it's my understanding that we, and I think we already went over this, they were put together initially, right? Not necessarily. No, they 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 were just friends. Okay. And then they kind of chose to live together sophomore year. Gotcha. So Larry then told the housemates that he had received government training and how to discipline the mind, and he began counseling the housemates in his own version of therapy. Mind you, he's not a doctor. I can name all the famous therapists. I can name... Dr. Phil. (laughs) Dr. Oz. I'm pretty sure Maury's a doctor. Uh, Steve Wilkos. Look, I can name all the famous doctors. Um, So he's just practicing... Is it occlumency in Harry Potter? No. Oh, in in Harry Potter. What's the thing in Harry Potter where you like, protect the mind? I I don't remember what that's... It's been a long time since I read Harry Potter. I think he's practicing Wilkos therapy where you ask a question and then throw a chair. (laughs) I mean, he kind of looks like Steve Wilkos a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Um, but what we've got here are vulnerable young people in a vulnerable point in their lives. With an adult. With an adult who is claiming to be able to help them with no training. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he's shown, I mean, he is creepy. He is, uh, the, the whole situation is kind of weird and creepy, but he has shown that he's a very responsible adult with, like, being able to provide and, like, pick up for people. So they see him as, like, an authority A paternal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely instituted himself as an authority thing. A definite daddy. Yeah. He's Not a, in, like, the good way. He's a the total bad way. daddy. Yeah. Yeah. 
so all of that is very troubling, but not nearly as troubling as what happened next. So Talia's now ex-boyfriend recalled that at the time, Larry took a particular shine to Isabella as she was recovering from her breakup. Extra vulnerable. Especially because she's like 19 and it's like the first big, big breakup of your life or whatever. Larry informed the group that he was going to start sleeping in Isabella's room because, quote, she needed help. When Tali's boyfriend heard about this, he was understandably upset. And Larry assured him that there was nothing sexual going on and he would be sleeping on the floor. But also, good for Talia's boyfriend for yeah. being like, yeah. yeah, no. So at this point, I want to stop and say that no one who lives on an air mattress in their child's dorm is in any position to give life advice. And if any of his bullshit was true, he would be rich as hell. Like, yeah. Yeah. what are you talking about? When things don't add up, they don't add up. Like, if at any point you're like, hey, if you were a CIA operative, why were you in prison and why are you sleeping on the floor? Those are real questions. Here's the thing, though, about being 19. Yeah. Especially if you come from, like, a home where you haven't really had to do a lot of thinking for yourself Mm -hmm. or making your own choices. This thing kind of happens when you're young where you just kind of instinctively trust authority figures. It's why you're so impressionable. and. College is the place where we start to become who we are and start to make our own choices. And he's stagnated that for them. Yeah. He has stepped in at that very crucial point. Where you're supposed to start thinking for yourself. And making your own way. I'm also your mommy, daddy, whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. College is the... One of its purposes is, from what I've seen, is like it's supposed to be being an adult with training wheels. Yeah, like yeah, you're supposed totally. to have the responsibility of juggling work, aka school, with social life, aka not getting blackout drunk every day because you lose at uh, beer pong because Larry is fucking sinking shots from the back, <laughs> right? Because and chomping down on a steak dinner while he's doing it. Uh, playing beer pong, by the way. Yeah, I'm trying to jokes. figure out how to get his air mattress into your friend's room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oof. Hey, Larry, are we playing beer pong on an air mattress? Yeah, dude, it's fucking CIA rules, dude. (laughs) That's how General Allen did it. Before we dive into more of this crazy story, and it's about to get way the hell crazier, uh, we need to talk about who Larry is and why he claims all of this government craziness. Larry Ray was born in the 1930s as a cable man. No. Okay. Uh, He was originally born Lawrence Greco, but he eventually took his stepfather's last name. Uh, He was born in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn in 1959, the same year as my mom. So he is my mom's age, and his daughter is only a couple years younger than me. Mm -hmm. So, like, I kind of get it. Like, if my mom or my dad, for instance, suddenly like, hey, I'm moving into your dorm. Let's all eat steak. Yeah, your dad is eccentric in the other end yeah, of the my, spectrum. Yeah, my dad's a fun eccentric. He's adorable. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this guy, like, on the spectrum of, like, uh, eccentric dads, this guy's like, steak dinner, weird, and your dad is like, steak dinner, cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Larry has a questionable work history and a questionable school history. Mm. Uh, But what we do know is that he hung around politicians, top military officials, restaurateurs, business owners. Um, According to people at his wedding, there were actually mob 
bosses and like or a mob capo so basically a mob knight yeah. if you will okay at his wedding in 1988 uh he basically is all talk but there's always like a tiny kernel of truth just enough to seem like maybe it's maybe it's true and to keep people's attention which is kind of like what he's doing as that he's like he's doing the dad stuff so that when the weird stuff happens you're like yeah but he does the dad stuff Right. So it's like you think it's like a shield. Yeah, you're just kind of like, okay. well, I'm wrong because this is clearly true. So I'm wrong, right? This, I don't want to derail this, but he, you, every so often you'll meet a dad who is like, he was gonna be something in his past, and then that thing kind of fell through. Yeah. So he kind of relies on being like cool, so that it's like kind of like hush hush. Like my dad used to be. X, you know, like, right. like my dad could have been uh, a professional baseball player for sure. Like legit, he could have played for the MLB, but he was kind of a dumbass when he was a child. So he kind of ruined that shot for himself, but he kind of like still sticks with that. And so like the legend in his hometown is like, oh, that's Rudy. He could have been like a major league baseball player. This guy seems like he had a fucking lame life. And so he was trying to make this like image for himself. But he couldn't choose one thing, so he chose, like, every... He was like, I'm going to be, like, the business guy, the politician guy, the mob guy. I think it's actually something a little more specific that we are definitely familiar with. But I'll get to it in a sec. But the second you said that, all I could think was, like, oh, yeah, I did go to elementary school with MC Hammer's kids. So I know exactly Whoa! what that's like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so of the people interviewed for the article, one of them said, Larry was a chameleon. He would be a good old boy or a patriot. He'd pull out a pipe and fake glasses and be an intellectual. He would juggle 10 different people at the same time, telling each of them one piece of a story he wanted them to know, convincing them that he wanted them all to be part of his master plan. So he's like a choose-your-own-adventure Larry. Yeah, he's he's a con man. I mean, is obviously what he is. Um, Turn to Larry 89. Yeah. Is he even that girl's dad, actually? He is her dad. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he allegedly worked on Wall Street in the early 80s, despite not having a college degree. Okay. Uh, he later supposedly became a consultant, helping clients in insurance, construction, finance, and gambling. Uh, he worked with Donald Trump, allegedly, at one point. Sure. He, yeah, he claimed to be a partner in a popular Italian restaurant where he would hold fundraisers for politicians. Um, there's a guy who ran a large construction firm in New York, who actually testified against him in court. Uh, but he said on record that he actually hired Larry just to help make introductions with people because Larry seemed to know everyone, but no one really knew how. So I'm here to tell you my secret. It was Facebook the whole time. Hey, hey. I mean, but he would be dealing with government officials, mm-hmm. prominent politicians. He would introduce people to Marine generals and colonels, but the truth of his time in the service is a little suspect. He only served 19 days in the Air Force in 1981. Okay. Total. That's it. Was it during wartime? No, it was 1981. Okay, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he. That's when the Air Force declared war on all that cocaine. Yeah, he, uh, he did, however, hang out with a number of prominent military figures enough to name drop when necessary. So he's like all the serial killers that hang out with cops. It's that, or it's the comic that hangs out at the club and never performs. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's it's the people that know everybody but aren't funny. Like, they're the people that are always around, but you can't name a joke that they do. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's that person where it's like where everyone kind of has this feeling of like, oh, yeah, like to for a further example, uh, all he at one point in court listed out all of the things that he had done to help the military. OK, so he, Did cl- he cook them steaks, too. Well, I cooked them steaks. I vacuumed the airplane. He claims that... I won them a beer pong tournament against the <laughs> army. <laughs> he claims that he and a high-ranking official once planned an operation to capture and extradite Asada Shakur from Cuba. He also claims that in the 90s, uh, he had tried to make inroads with the Soviet Russian economy and even contracted with the CIA. He also repeatedly claims that NATO officials had dispatched him to Moscow in 1999 to stop a bombing campaign in Kosovo, even though, by his own admission, he knew nothing about the war. So whenever someone challenges him on these claims, he presents a letter that was written on official NATO letterhead, thanking him for his efforts to ensure good communication and understanding between ourselves and the Russian leadership. But when New York Magazine reached out to NATO for con- like confirmation on this letter, NATO basically said, or their representative said, I, we remember him being around. He was always around, and he may have made some calls for us to people so we just handed those letters out to anybody who helped us ah so he's interesting yeah so he's just kind of so he just he's waving around it's the coolest participation award yes so people can't ever really refute what he's saying because they're pretty sure they've seen him around right Mm -hmm. it's it's that thing of like is so-and-so a comic i don't know they're always around you know it's that kind of yeah yeah But Larry's most important connection was yet to come. In 1995, Larry met a young NYPD detective named Bernie Carrick. Carrick had recently been promoted from being, at the time, Mayor Rudy Giuliani's driver to the director of the New York City Department of Corrections Investigations Division. What? Yes. How was he qualified? Oh, this is going to get way weirder than that. So a few years later, Larry served as Carrick's best man at his wedding. And for a time, Carrick was best friends with Larry. He would even sign emails as, to Larry, love B. B for burner. <laughs> it was really weird where at the wedding he was like, no, I understand that I, the title is best man, but can you, for just tonight, can you call me best daddy? Can that, can <laughs> I, thank you. So while in Russia, because at one point Larry apparently did actually go to Russia for something, but we don't really know what. Oh, all sketchy men do. Of course. Uh, he'd befriended Mikhail Gorbachev's longtime interpreter. Now, this is 1997. This is when the wall Bitch, is still what up. The fuck? Yes. So, Larry and his friends hosted Gorbachev when the statesman visited New York. They even drove around in Larry's car. And as a favor to Carrick, Larry arranged for Gorbachev to sit down with Mayor, at the time, Rudy Giuliani. Is this all on record? Yes. Oh, my God. Photographs of this meeting are in national papers. You can find them. So Larry's in them? No. In those photos? No, but... No, uh, but there's records of him setting up the stuff. Of him setting up the stuff. So it's Giuliani and this interpreter. One month after this meeting, Giuliani appointed Carrick to be commissioner of the Department of Correction. It's a big deal. Yeah. He's basically chief yeah, of police. Yeah, but how point. can you do that without having any qualifications? No, Larry is not the guy. Larry's Still, friend. No, his, his friend is just Giuliani's driver. Oh, nepotism runs. Giuliani is... Well, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah. We're going to go into it in just a second. So... To understand what a huge deal this was, 
This job would be a career maker for Carrick. Five years later, Carrick was still in that position when two planes crashed into the World Trade Center and the world watched as Carrick mobilized the police as some of the first responders in the attack. To understand what a big deal this was, it's important that you understand what the world is like immediately after 9-11. And I know a lot of our listeners will remember it, but you won't. Mm-hmm. So let's get Immediately after it. 9-11 was um, uh, finger painting for me. That's what yeah. my life mm-hmm. was like. So. so the events of 9-11 obviously changed America in ways that we and our attackers could have never imagined. Not since Pearl Harbor had there been attack on the scale from an outside force on American soil. Don't get me wrong. Plenty of domestic terrorism. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, white supremacists be wildin'. Uh, but it's hard to solidify an enemy when the enemy is one of our own. So we didn't have necessarily the same reactions to those domestic incidents as we did to 9-11. But when the, ne- but when the enemy represents an other, moreover an other of color, there was a galvanization that hasn't happened before or since. Mm-hmm. In... The time now of extreme political division, it's hard to remember that not even 20 years ago, we as a country experienced unparalleled loss. And for a moment, we were one America united against the sorrow and trauma and fear that followed the attacks. The biggest result was that those who sprang into action on that day at the towers became instant heroes. Mm-hmm. Rudy Giuliani, at the time mayor of the New York mayor of New York, he had problems as the mayor of New York. Nepotism, obviously, if we've yeah. seen just in this story. But at the time, no one talked about it. He was referred to as America's mayor. People wanted him to run for president at one point. Mm-hmm. He was beloved for a time purely because he was there when it happened. Even Hillary Clinton, who people have criticized her entire life in politics, She was a congresswoman for New York at the time and was at ground zero, and she was hailed for her immediate response to the tragedy. But one of the most explosive rises to fame born out of this tragedy was that of Bernard Carrick. Carrick was serving as the police commissioner during the attacks, and he was in his office when American Airlines Flight 11 hit the North Tower. He arrived at the base of the North Tower three minutes before the second plane hit the South Tower, showering him and his staff with debris as Giuliani, Carrick, and their top aides were trapped inside part of a building at 75 Barclay Street. He served 16 straight months as commissioner, leaving the office at the end of Giuliani's term on December 31st, 2001. So not only did he mobilize the forces for the attacks, he survived them. Hmm. He was everyone's poster boy. He comes out of this looking like a hero. Meanwhile, at the same time, same time period, Carrick had helped introduce Larry to some of his law enforcement contacts, including an FBI agent named Gary O'Hare. Larry claimed that he could provide him with information on mafia contacts, so the FBI had started talking to Larry about the mafia. Really quick, are we sure that that's Gary's last name, or did Larry just see his full head of hair and go, Gary, ooh, hair, hair. It I'm is, so bald. It's spelled U-H-E-R, so it could be U-her. Oh. Um, but they started meeting three to four times a week, and 
Larry basically was leading them on wild goose chases. He even got them to install a security system into his house for $10,000. Oh, my God. It's just absolute craziness. Like, every bad informant that you see in a police show, it's Larry. (laughs) Um, It wasn't until years later, and now we're kind of catching up with 2011, or 2001, it's right around the same time. Uh, The FBI realized that Larry had just been using his role as an informant to draw attention away from the actual crimes he was committing. (laughs) Oh, my God. The most guilty people are usually the ones willing to help the police. That's so funny, dude. There's no guiltier person to help than the FBI. So... Uh, so in March of 2000, right before 2001, mm-hmm. 9-11, mm-hmm. that's why I keep saying 2001. Yeah. Uh, right before 2001, federal prosecutors in Brooklyn indicted 19 defendants, including Larry, oh, for their involvement in a securities fraud scheme that Larry had been essentially trying to, like, razzle-dazzle them away from actually finding out about. Uh, Larry was charging... <laughs> Was charged with agreeing to pay a $100,000 bribe to the executive of a bond broker brokerage on behalf of a mob boss. Oh, my God. A mob boss that he was allegedly being an informant against. <laughs> Prosecutors acknowledged that Larry had provided useful background information because even in trying to lie, he had given them too much information. Oh, my God. Uh, to the FBI, but they said that nothing had helped the investigation in any significant way, and they argued that he had repeatedly lied to the FBI. In asking for leniency, Larry pointed to all of his listed times he had helped the U.S. government, but everyone was kind of like, I don't think those are real. (laughs) Yeah, what the fuck? Are you fucking kidding me, dude? I'm talking here. Right. I'm giving it all up. So... He's the man who knew too much but was too stupid to use it. Exactly. That's his title. Uh, Larry claimed to have recovered those missiles, everything. <laughs> what? It's, it's a whole... He was supposedly sent to Russia to kidnap Felix Sater. Not, I would say pretty much none of it's true. You have, no one has any proof of like any of it. But it would, when it was clear that a conviction was inevitable because all of that is bullshit, Larry made a desperate plea to Bernard Carrick who was by then the commissioner of the NYPD. This is right before 9-11. So Larry wrote Carrick an email begging his friend to put in a good word with the U.S. Attorney's Office. Please be there for me. Carrick responded the next day, I would do anything for you, but in this present position, I can't intercede. I hope you understand. I would do anything for you. But, but I, I won't, won't do that. that. Uh, so Are you time. fucking kidding me? I was your best daddy. How are you going to play me like daddy. this? So Larry pleaded guilty to securities fraud. Oh, God. And in 2003, he was finally sentenced to five years probation. Now, 2003, that's after 9-11. So at this point, not only has Carrick refused to intercede, mm-hmm. but now... After 9-11, he's considered a fucking hero because he was one of the first responders. Anyone who was there at the towers who responded and saved lives, they're heroes now. Yeah. They are I, untouchable. We, we I, I want to be clear that we're not saying like, oh, they're like Giuliani 
is kind of a bad person. Oh, a hundred percent. Very much. At yeah. the Him, time, no one was gonna say no. That. And I don't. I don't. The way that they handled it, in my, to my knowledge, they did it. They did what they could. Yeah, well, there's not much you can do. Yeah, I mean, it's really a crazy can. day, you know? And I don't think anyone in that situation is going to be like, well, let's do nothing. Yeah. Like, they they did what they could. They responded the way that they should. And there were definitely heroes that day. I'm yeah. not saying there weren't. And here's the thing. I can't even definitively say Carrick wasn't. Because I'm sure he was a first responder and yeah. did what he could. And at this point in 2003, hailed as the leader of some of the first responders, He's considered a hero, and especially a leader of heroes who sacrificed their lives for fellow Americans. Carrick was quickly elevated to serve as the interim minister of the interior of Iraq in 2003. What the fuck? Very serious. One year later, he was nominated by President George W. Bush to become the next U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security. Okay. Even Keurig, I almost called him Keurig. (laughs) Even Keurig can't make coffee that good from a pod. Uh, (laughs) Even he's got to be sitting at a desk and being like, oh my God, I used to drive a car. I'm not, I can't do this. Well, makes sense, because a week later he declined the nomination, knowing that he wouldn't pass the vetting process because he had employed an illegal immigrant as a housekeeper and a nanny for his children. Which, by the way, imagine if our current president... Had like, oh yeah, I won't pass pass the vetting process. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, he was worried about that. And then we got Pussy Grabber. Oh my God, I can't. Uh, So after this revelation, a bigger investigation ensued into his background. Two days after Carrick's withdrawal, the Daily News broke a story that chronicled a slew of improprieties stemming from his relationship with Larry. Oh God. In the article, it alleged that Larry had paid for Carrick's wedding and bought Carrick $4,000-plus worth of furniture and given him a customized Tiffany police badge. There's only one problem. Larry was the story's primary source. Oh. Larry's mad, baby. It was revenge, and he got it. Carrick was publicly humiliated. There had been a jail complex that was named after Carrick after 9-11. They stripped his name off of it. Uh, He had been having an affair with a magazine editor. That was made public. He was investigated on state, city, and federal levels. And then eventually, in 2009... Carrick pleaded guilty to felony tax and false statement charges and served three years in prison. That story about him having the affair, did they did they put it in a newspaper? I don't know. Oh, because I was going to... If they put it in a newspaper, that's bad for him and for his uh, mistress. Oh. She's I like, think couldn't was... you put it in a magazine? No! no! I think it was a com- probably a competitor. Oh. Probably okay. ran it. Um, but... <laughs> ran by Cosmo. Yeah. <laughs> Ten steamy ways to have an affair with a national security official. Um, this betrayal, I mean, Carrick's betrayal and not interceding in Larry's case. Yeah. Revenge wasn't enough. Something shifted in Larry at that point, And he started lashing out at the people around him. So in 2004, his wife, Teresa, Tally's mother, filed for divorce. He still had a wife after all this? Also, he had maintained a, like, long-term girlfriend the whole time. What? Bitch! Yeah, yeah. Larry! Yes. 
uh, a few months later. You naughty boy. You're killing me, Larry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't know if that's a thing outside of Southern California. No, I've oh. heard that. Yes. Have yeah. you? Okay. Yes, that's what I was like. There's like a funny sit voice and sleep with mattress. Larry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sit and sleep mattress. You're Listen, killing me, Larry. I gotta tell you, I'll solve all your problems. I'll go to Russia. I'll kidnap the guy. Or oh, your mattress is free! <laughs> uh, so, a few months later, Teresa actually called the police to their house and claimed that Larry had hit her. When the police showed up, Larry, Talia, and Talia's younger sister all accused Teresa of abuse. Oh, no. So, New Jersey's welfare department gave Larry custody. Oh, no. In the months where Larry had custody and they were investigating Teresa for child abuse, they received many more tips from Larry and Talia saying that they had been abused. However, the investigations turned up nothing, no records, and when they interviewed Talia's younger sister, they discovered that most of this was coached. They even tried evaluating Larry, and they said that he is a master manipulator and clearly cannot be trusted. Yeah. Basically, that he doesn't tell anybody the truth. So who you think knows? I did something wrong? Let me cook you a steak dinner. Huh? Exactly. Sit down. Come on. Forget about it. Uh, they said that the abuse allegations fit no discernible pattern ever reported to the examiner. Um, and when they asked her four-year-old sister if her mother had hit her, she said, that's what daddy tells me to say. Oh. Oh. Fuck yeah, baby girl. Such honesty. Yeah. So the final court order after finding him mentally uh, questionable. Out of his fucking mind. Demanded that he turn the children back over to Teresa, but he refused and was charged with contempt and custodial interference. He spent six months in jail. And instead of living with her mother during this time, Talia chose to live in youth centers. This is why she's older than everyone else. Hmm. Oh, she didn't go to school. I mean, she probably did for portions of it, but there's definitely gaps. Interesting. Yeah. Clary claimed all of this was part of a large conspiracy to undo him. He thinks that it's all Bernie Carrick and Rudy Giuliani teamed up to keep him away from his kids. What? And he told this to conspiracy theorist A.J. Weberman for his book, Homo Thug, The Secret Life of Rudy Giuliani. Oh, my God. Now... A little bit of info about this book. Uh, you cannot buy it anymore. It's been removed from Amazon, but I the reviews why. are still there. <laughs> yeah, because it's definitely slander. Um, the book is basically a conspiracy theory that Rudy Giuliani has been secretly in the closet this entire time as either gay or bisexual. The book's not sure. Uh, and all of his political moves have been to hide this fact, bordering on mob tactics, to keep his sexuality a secret making him, quote, a homo thug. Um, Here's the thing. We got to predict the back door at all costs. <laughs> uh, it is. I, I mean, I don't know if it's true. Nobody does. I, I don't think it is. I think it's. That's an absurd accusation. It's an absurd accusation. To write an entire book about with no real proof. Also, their main interview is fucking Larry complaining that Rudy Giuliani stole his children for the gay agenda. It's fucking nonsense. <laughs> oh my god. It's absolute 
nonsense. That's really ridiculous. Larry started a blog. He would blog about these conspiracies all the time. Uh, sometimes the commissioner was out for revenge. Other times it was Carrick in league with Giuliani, Bush, and Dick Cheney trying to silence Larry because he, quote, knew secrets about 9-11. And all I have to say about that is that Dick Cheney is a very, 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 very rich, very, very, very evil man. And if he wanted you dead, you'd be dead. Either you're dead or Nick Cheney doesn't care. There's no yeah. in between. Nick, Dick Cheney's never after you. He has either already killed you or he has no plans Remember to. Remember the time he shot someone in the face? Exactly. And it was just he like, shot a fool in the fucking face. And then that fool apologized. Yes. If Dick Cheney wants you dead, you'd be on a hunting trip with Dick Cheney. Yes, right now. <laughs> also, I just want to say. And apologizing for your own death. Also, you're a fucking idiot talking about this in a magazine that's public right now. Now, you are wildly identifiable. Yeah, we all know how shitty magazine editors are. Oh, Just the geez. worst type of people. I'm, all also, I'm saying is Dick would have killed you already. I want to play Dick Cheney's advocate. Please uh, do. Which is just devil's advocate. But uh, <laughs> who made money? off of taking away Larry's children. Halliburton, <laughs> follow the money. Dick Cheney orchestrated the taking of Larry's children to find oil in Larry? I don't know. I didn't think this one out. He does look a little greasy. Anyway, you can catch this all in my new book, Dick Cheney, Larry Thug. How about Badass Daddy? Ooh, Dick Cheney, Batty. America's Batty. naughty daddy. Uh, yeah, so I'm like, no, Dick Cheney's not after you. He's not after anybody. They're either dead or he doesn't care. Yeah. So in 2006... I only kill people when I need another heart. <laughs> oh, uh, God. Oh, jeez. He is the Tin Man. He's got like three hearts, doesn't he? Yeah, he's had a, a number of them, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean... Cons- I don't mean like right now. <laughs> he has three hearts inside of I him. I just pictured him in that scene from Indiana Jones. Just like, ah! <laughs> well, the worst part, the worst part about Dick Cheney is that technically speaking, he is the closest thing we have to Iron Man in real life. <laughs> It's like, this heart's no good anymore. I gotta get a new heart. And then they just gave, but he's that. And then he's like selling weapons. Yeah, Yeah. no, for sure. He is the closest thing we have to Iron Man. Uh, So around this time, he also told a city investigator that was looking into Carrick's case at the time. uh, He told them that on three different occasions, people in mysterious vehicles had pulled up beside him and shot at his car, barely missing him each time. Which like, no, they fucking didn't. Because no one survives that multiple times. Not Tupac, not you. Like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? I'm missing you at all with those bullets. Yeah. Yeah, the only one that could have done it was 50 Cent. He got shot a bunch of times. And then he still invented vitamin water. I love vitamin water so much. Thank yeah. you, 50 Cent. Vitamin water is made with uh, water flavoring and then the uh, shavings of the bullets from inside of his body. <laughs> Maybe that's why it makes me feel so strong. What counts as a mysterious vehicle? Yeah, it was like a Kia Soul, one of those (laughs) boxcars. So it it was one of those things where it looks like a bike, but it's like on the freeway. It's like three wheels. Oh, my God. I hate those so much. So it was like a Volkswagen bug, but it was on these big old wheels. (laughs) Kind of like a dune buggy. (laughs) He shot seven bullets into my car and yelled, spiders, and then took off. Spiders. 
So in 2006, Larry was then arrested again when his then girlfriend accused him of trapping her in her apartment, pinning her down, and putting his hand over her nose and mouth. After making bail, Larry spoke with a detective who claimed, or Larry claimed to this detective, uh, that he was currently involved in, quote, a major government investigation and that this domestic violence incident was made up to place him in a bad light. It wasn't. No. Yeah. She did recant, but the court didn't care. They said that this was enough to claim that he had violated his parole back from his securities investigation. Yeah. And from his six months in jail for custodial interference. So he went back to prison. Custodial interference just sounds like somebody was trying to scrub a toilet and you were like, no, no. Uh, but that meant he would go back to prison, and he blamed Carrick for this, even though at the same time, Carrick was going to prison himself. Custodial interference gets you five yards back, by the way. You have, <laughs> oh, to, you have to scrub with a really long mop. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Continue. This brings us back to that dorm at Sarah Lawrence, because mm-hmm. it's when he got out of prison that he then joined his daughter Talia and her friends. Mm-hmm. So that December of that fresh sophomore year, the night before Isabella was supposed to return home for winter break... Larry called her parents and he told her mother that Isabella had been sexually abused as a child by a family friend and that if she was going to go home for a winter break, it might cause her to commit suicide. So she would be staying with him for the winter break. No, no, no. His mother, Isabella's mother was surprised because she'd never heard anything about that. Uh, she says she'd been very close to her daughter, never heard her say anything about the assault. And in response, Larry said, you let this happen to her. It's your fault. And he basically hung up on her. So Isabella spent the winter break with Larry, Talia, and Talia's boyfriend in a one-bedroom condo on East 93rd Street, owned by a man named Lee Chen, who was an old friend of Larry's. Tali and her boyfriend st- slept in the living room, and then Isabella and Larry shared the bedroom. So he's been kind of grooming her while oh, she's vulnerable. 100%. And now he's kind of created a situation where she... I'm sure he... This is what he told the mother, but I'm sure he told Isabella, like, oh, your family doesn't want to see you. She can't or, go like, home. That's the, the baseline. Yeah. So here's the crazier thing. I think he convinced her that she was molested as a child. Really? Yeah, because he does that to a couple other people, too. What the fuck Jesus. Yeah. He controlled everything about their lives in that apartment, what they ate, when they ate, when they went to bed. Um, he told Talia's boyfriend to stop taking his prescri- prescribed antipsychotic medication. No. Bitch, no. So Talia's boyfriend broke up with Talia as soon as winter break was over. It was basically just like, fuck you and your dad. Bye. Good move. Yes. I thought that was going to go the opposite me way. Too. Yeah, me too. He got out. So after winter break, Larry returned to the dorm for spring semester and spent most of his nights in Isabella's room. Oh. The house meetings and family dinners continued, and they started to become more mandatory. One night, Larry gathered everyone in the common room and began lecturing on something called Q4P, which is philosophy based on the idea that everything in the world is on a quest for its maximum potential. 
Okay, Dan Harmon, calm it down. It's actually a guy named David Birnbaum, but uh, he's, quote, an independent metaphysicist. Suck my dick. (laughs) Independent metaphysicist means I didn't get a degree. Exactly. And I want you to think I'm smart. Yes. Uh, He also claims to have fixed the holes in Stephen Hawking's theories with philosophy. So, grain of salt. With philosophy tape? It's just he tapes over (laughs) it? It's just... Um, But his theory is basically everything in the universe strives to reach its natural potential, which I would like to argue, explain all of the Ivy League grads who become failed comedians. Yeah. Yeah. Explain why all I want to do is smoke weed and talk about cults. Explain that, (laughs) dumbass. Explain it. Explain why I want to fall asleep at 9 p.m. What's up, dog? Well, it's because you want to go to work the next day. You're disproving our theory. Anyway, another one of the roommates named... or fake name, Claudia, was particularly kind of piqued by this presentation. Yeah. Even though it was sounded like gibberish, she was super into it. And she started having weekly counseling sessions with Larry. Oh. She's from Los Angeles originally, by the way. Mm. Hometown. Um, she had initially been unnerved by Larry, and she had actually written to the school to ask them to investigate why he was living in their dorm during the previous semester. But something seemed to change after she started meeting privately with Larry. It was like something had kind of changed in her, says one of the other roommates. So he is just oh a, yeah, a master manipulator. Yeah. Yes. Um, she kept posting about the Marines on Facebook because Larry is obsessed with the Marines. Yeah. He wasn't one. But he likes to tell people he was. Uh, Stolen Stolen Valor. Valor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um, I I lived in uh, Oceanside, California for a while, which is right next to a marine base. mm -hmm. And I've known uh, countless people like these who live near it and they're like... You know, they go to like VFW bars and like... And they're like, you know, but they don't... They never served. So, more concerning to her friends is that Cloudy began telling everyone that she thought she might be schizophrenic because Larry had diagnosed her as schizophrenic. Yeah, because he's a fucking doctor. He's not. He's an independent doctor. He's an independent doctor. A (laughs) meta-doctor. Daniel, one of the other roommates, had also initially found the philosophical meetings confusing and lame, but he decided to start meeting with... Larry as well. Now, part of the reason was at the end of the school year, Daniel no longer had a place to live. His relationship with his girlfriend was falling apart. And Santos, one of the other roommates, and Claudia urged him to speak with Larry. Larry basically gave him advice that felt very straightforward to him. Basically, it was dump your girlfriend. And Daniel was the one who was questioning his sexuality. And Larry told him, oh, no, you're not gay. I can tell you that for sure. Which, no, you fucking can't. You're not... Hey, listen. I gotta tell you. You're no Rudy Giuliani, all right? You're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Step one, dump your girlfriend. Step two, steak for dinner every, <laughs> every day. Every night. Um, Step three, can you use a vacuum? So, I cannot. Please help me. <laughs> because Larry then now provided a place to live, which is that condo on 93rd Street where everyone moved after moving out of the dorms. Daniel basically says in the article, I didn't want to go home because I was, you know, an adult and this was my alternative. Part of why I got into a cult at all was because I had no idea how one finds an apartment in New York. 
Yeah. Which is so real. Like, when people are like, why do people join cults? I'm like, because they fill a tangible need. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have a place to live, or I don't have friends, or I don't know where to do stuff or find yeah. a job. And the cult fills that void, and then you're tied to it. Yeah. That's how it happens. Well, because the, the guise of every cult is, let me take care of that for you. Yes. Let me take care of that for you. And it becomes about control and manipulation. Yes. Because you never figure out how to take care of yourself. Exactly. Now, in the condo, every morning started the same way. Steak and eggs, baby. I mean, probably, but more importantly, Larry would blast Baba O'Reilly by The Who, which some of you probably know as the CSI New York theme song. Yeah! That's the Miami one. I know. I just like that (laughs) one the best. But uh, I'll play it for you right here. Wait, are all all the CSI themes the The Who songs? Yeah, they're all The Who. God damn it. That's so lame. Who? Who? Who Who? Oh, this song. So I religiously watched CSI New York for a little while because it had that hot guy from that Miracle Hockey movie in it. Mm. Uh, But yeah, he would start every morning with that. And I think part of that is there's a section of the song that just says Teenage Wasteland. And I think that was him kind of like, you're in a Teenage Wasteland. Let me shepherd you out of it. (laughs) And then every morning... (laughs) Larry, every week we got to buy a new pan because in the morning you play this song and then beat the pan up like you're Pete Townshend. Jeez. Uh, But he soon found that living in the apartment wasn't really that different from living in the college dorm. They had family meals, movie nights, and essentially he still continued in that weird dad role while also claiming to basically be everyone's guru. Oh, no. Yeah. He also seemed to have several streams of income. He was a life consultant. He bought a ton of domains on GoDaddy.com and then <laughs> resell them for more money. He claims that that's worth almost a million dollars. Oh, man. Um, he was the first one to buy NoDaddy. Yeah. NoDaddy.com. Sometimes he would buy the roommates um, expensive clothing or shoes or take them all out for dinner, always at upscale steakhouses. Oh, my God. And he would always pay with a wad of cash that he kept in a backpack that he carried with him at all times. Adults Makes with backpacks, oh. always questionable. Andrea wears My a backpack. My dad I do too, but only also because... Also does a backpack. I mean, I work for a tech company. It's part of our uniform. Secondly, that's funny. Secondly, the sketchiest way to pay for anything is pulling a wad of cash out of yes. a backpack. Yeah. Because uh, that's saying, hey, if the cops come, I got to throw this fucking backpack and yeah, then come yeah. back for it later. So here's the craziest part. He had a limo driver on call to take them home no matter the hour. And that limo driver... Chief of police in five years. <laughs> but here's my, like, limos are for weddings and prom. Like, no actual rich people ride in limos. Well, limos are for weddings, proms, and then when you get enough points in your accelerated reading test that they take you to Chuck E. Cheese. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my childhood. Um, so, the other thing, they did conflict therapy. Oh, no. What's that? 
So this, I think we covered this a lot slightly before your time, Andrea. Conflict therapy is where one person is in the hot seat and everyone else basically gets to accuse them of anything and everything. Oh, I remember that from another cult. Yeah. So conflict therapy is um, one of the big kind of crucial points that we covered in the episodes, the lost episodes. Yeah, the lost episodes had a ton of conflict therapy. Uh, Synanon, which is episode 15, yeah. has a ton of conflict therapy in it as well. The, the best way to explain conflict therapy is it's like the Comedy Central roast of a vulnerable person. Yeah, 100%. Oh my yeah. God. Except no one consented and no one's having fun and we're not hugging at the end. And no one is funny. So no just like funny. the Comedy Central roast, really. Oh, boo. Ba-doom-tsh. All of our friends work <laughs> on those. Please. I know. No, they are. Viacom, I am so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, Viacom, come be my nasty daddy. Okay. Be well, my naughty TV daddy. I'm sure if you ask Jeff, he'll be your nasty daddy. <laughs> so, uh, essentially, it's you yelling at one person who's in the hot seat until they have a quote-unquote breakthrough. Yeah. Or breakdown. Well, That's break- considered a breakthrough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On one occasion, Larry managed during one of these sessions to convince Daniel that the reason he played the ukulele was because of trauma inflicted on him by his father. In fairness, ukulele is trauma inflicted on everyone, so... <laughs> My sister plays ukulele, and she's pretty fucking rad at it, but she's... Nah, a real man plays guitar. Teenage Wasteland! <laughs> I'm gonna throw this out there, and I've said it before in tweets, but multiple people have asked me why I didn't bring my ukulele when I go do stand-up. Because they think you're that other girl that plays the ukulele? Yes. They just, <laughs> I just have a plays the ukulele type well, face. There, there is specifically a girl that looks like you that plays the ukulele, and she does um, She does rap songs. She does. She also does, oh God. I want to say Alanis Morissette singing something else and now yeah, I don't but remember what it is. Here's the thing about what she does that I fucking hate for musical comics is they just, it's the song and they change like two words and it's like, okay. Here's a song Tell that's on the radio. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, here's a song that's on the radio. That here's a song that's on the radio and here's a line about sex. Hey! <laughs> you nailed musical comics. That's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, they are, they don't have lyrics nearly as good as the ones that I randomly shout into these microphones <laughs> during this show. For real. <laughs> so uh, this prompted Daniel. <clears throat> this prompted Daniel to smash the instrument in front of the group as an act of catharsis. That's just learning okay. from the Who, baby. <laughs> yep. Uh, and the group applauded for him achieving closure. Oh God! Wait, can you imagine somebody smashing a ukulele? <laughs> It's so tiny. (laughs) 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 So once, excuse me, once after spending hours in the hot seat, didn't seem like there was any end in sight. Daniel told a story that finally got Larry's attention. He said that he had found a baby bird and it was injured. And when he held it in his hand, he accidentally crushed it. It was completely made up but it was just to end the session, which is what happens in conflict therapy is people start making shit up. If you've ever seen the documentary going clear, Mm -hmm. the, they do a ton of conflict therapy in the hole where people start making up accusations. And until you admit to them, it doesn't end. That's like the witch trials. 
either admit to being a witch or we're going to drown you until you admit to being a witch. Yeah, it's all torture. There's yeah. no one... Eventually, somebody's just going to say anything to make it stop. Yeah. It's a, it sounds... It's, it, it's kind of like fake trauma bonding. Yes. Exa- that's exactly like, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Claudia's parents were upset with the level of influence and access that Larry had to her, especially because they only lived a couple blocks away from the house on 93rd Street, but they would only see her every once in a while. They went to both the school and the police, but because Claudia was over 18, they were told that there was nothing they could do. Okay, what the fuck, though? There, There isn't. I mean, she's there of her own volition. That's the thing. The police did a wellness check and determined that she was there of her own free will. Technically. Yeah, but this dude is out of his fucking mind. Yep. They actually also, this is the group that's on record with the school. So they supposedly met with Alan Green, who was the dean of student life. And Alan Green, according to the article, told them that he'd received other complaints about Larry, but his hands were tied because a father had a right to visit his daughter on campus. So essentially, Claudia would come home to their house to do laundry and then just criticize them all day long. Just like in the Marines, you do this. You exercise. You only eat healthy food. And it was basically her just spouting what so Larry had told her. In the Marines, is... we eat steak and we smashed ukuleles. Yeah. So has Larry kind of stopped focusing so much on Isabella and now he's kind of focused more on Claudia and Daniel? It's everybody so he's kind of still focused on everyone he's focused on everybody okay. i think he's just slowly chipping away at everyone, at everyone until in he their gets own in ways. and then he brings them together yeah um he started to basically accuse them of either stealing from him or damaging his property Yikes. and then charging them for it no, no. yeah you smash no my ukulele yeah also the student's were all required to write letters confessing to all the things that they had done. No. Just yep. like Jonestown. Jonestown, mm-hmm. yep. Um, Santos's parents specifically calculated that over the course of three to four years, they paid Larry over $200,000 for these debts because Santos would basically threaten to commit suicide if they didn't pay what those the debts. fuck? They had to sell their house as a result. They also went to the police... But again, he's over 18, and they willingly paid. He only he also it's... only takes payments in the form of wad of cash and backpack. <laughs> Those Jansports get expensive. That is some intense emotional manipulation. Yeah. Um, things became even more difficult. Uh, things became more difficult for Daniel when Larry started to take a deeper interest in his sexual orientation. Uh, one night... He sent Isabella out of the bedroom and she began kissing Daniel on the couch. He thought Isabella maybe had a crush on him or something. But then Larry basically ushered the two of them into the bedroom and he instructed Daniel and Isabella to have sex while he watched. Damn, Daniel. What? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's sorry. totally inappropriate. Oh my God. It's, no. to- it's not good. No, it's not okay. That's horrible. It's not okay. How dare you? He's, it's bad. It's bad. Back at it again with the white band. Oh, jeez. You're a naughty boy. So this would happen repeatedly. Sometimes Larry would participate. No. No. And sometimes he would invite Chen to watch. Who's Chen? The landlord. The landlord. What the fuck? 
Daniel says he got super freaked out because he felt like there wasn't... Yeah. Yeah, he felt like there wasn't consent in that situation. He didn't think Isabella was really consenting. He didn't feel like he was consenting. Um, But he still didn't leave the apartment. He basically argues that it was unusual and felt weird, but everyone else seemed to feel like it was okay, and so maybe I'm the one who's wrong. No, Which is, again, a cult thing of, like... Follow your instincts. If it feels wrong... Take space. Yes. Don't, don't. Fuck. At the end of that summer, Claudia and Daniel both left to study abroad in England. Before leaving, Claudia actually sent an email to Alan Green, that student life coordinator. And the subject line said the truth. She wrote that when Larry first had moved in, she was worried and concerned that he was bad, dangerous, manipulative. But after spending the summer, she took it all back and she claimed that Larry's ex-wife had tricked her into making her initial statements. Obviously, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She doesn't even really know his ex-wife that I know of, but she was convinced to send that email. God, I think Larry convinced her. That's my opinion. but But like, how can he... Like, A, even imagine these absurd situations. It's going to get way weirder. And then think that other people will just believe this nonsense? Yeah. Uh, Even the distance of the Atlantic Ocean wasn't enough because Claudia and Daniel would have video calls with Larry. And Larry asked them to Skype in for a family meeting and proceeded to coach them through having sex. They weren't in a relationship necessarily, he was basically arguing that it was for Daniel's treatment. Oh, my God. Treatment. These poor kids are going to never, like, having sex, they're going to have to figure out how to do it normally. Like, oh, God. I'm so upset. Anyway, I'm sorry. Larry started renovating the apartment. They came home to him already kind of working on renovations. By the way, he doesn't own this apartment. Still renting. He decided to take all of the door handles off, which meant that no one really had privacy. And no one questioned it. Because everyone believed he was doing everything for a good reason. This is like what happens when you're a kid and you and your brother slam doors too much in the house and dad's like, I'm taking all the locks off. But in a horrifying, horrifying way. Mm -hmm. Um, Claudia's parents still concerned and they still live very close. So they kept trying to pull Claudia away until one night Claudia showed up at her parents' house with Larry and began asking about her mother's first child, a girl who had died at birth, which is not a thing. There had been no first child. Claudia's mom was like, what are you talking about? But Larry had literally convinced Claudia that there had been a child before her, and that's why her mother didn't love her as much, because she would never love her as much as the child she lost. What the Fuck this piece of shit. No. I'm so mad. As Daniel entered his senior year, this is where the worst of it happened. What? Larry accused Daniel of letting Talia miss the application deadline for Stanford Law School. He, it's a long, he, it's, it makes no sense. I could try and explain to you why, but it makes no sense. In a confession session that night, Daniel denied having anything to do with the missed deadline, because, duh. So Larry crushed little pieces of aluminum foil into little balls and rolled them up inside a string of saran wrap, fashioning what Daniel described as almost like a necklace of metal clumps. But Larry called it a garrote. 
and in front of the group, Larry ordered Daniel to wrap the contraption around his testicles and penis, and then Larry began twisting it. What the fuck? The metal cut off circulation <gasps> to his genitals and dug into his flesh. He's okay, but it hurt a okay. lot, yeah. I'm assuming. You could lose your dick like that, dude. Yeah, you could. Yeah. According to Chen, Larry would also regularly abuse Santos, often putting him in a sleeper hold until he passed out. Oh, no, he's a wrestling moves guy. And then when he came out, he would ask, did the darkness envelop you? Basically making it feel like he was passing out, even though Larry was making it happen. So one of the, the number one ways that they predict death in cases of violence between partners is choking and cutting off someone's breathing Mm -hmm. so like larry is really ramping up in terms of his power and control to killing someone right so one of the last straws for daniel is that he told larry that he was still feeling unsure about his sexuality larry ordered him to get one of isabella's dresses and then go downstairs to get the male wearing the dress daniel did it and then Larry handed him a dildo and ordered him to penetrate himself. <gasps> Daniel did it in front of the group and they laughed at him. Oh, no. After this, he decided that he was going to leave. He moved out and stopped answering any emails or phone calls from anyone in good the house. Good job. Good, good job. After finding a website that details how cults operate, he sought help because he believed that he had been in a cult but most of the therapy he went to felt like what Larry used to do. Oh, no. This is a... Uh, I was talking with somebody in Portland who was telling me that there's this thing called uh, um, medical PTSD or therapeutic PTSD mm-hmm. where people have bad experiences with therapists either like this yeah. on, like, uh, what is it, independent metatherapists yeah. trying to spit their game at you or you have therapists that are like, because therapists are people. And yeah. sometimes they're bad at their jobs. Yeah. And so uh, sometimes when that happens, you feel like uh, you can't trust any therapist. Yeah. And so it sounds like this is what this guy has. Also, I'm not a psychologist. I just do a lot of research for the show. <laughs> um, uh, I will say, though, that he did say that he found some groups for cult survivors. And he thinks mm-hmm. that's been very helpful for him. Just sharing the experience with people. It yeah. allowed him to open up and tell significant others and things like that. Also, he did eventually figure out his his sexual or I mean, his uh, he believes he is straight mm. at this point. That's but good. that's the thing that only a person can figure out. Yeah. Like no one else can just tell you that. You gotta figure it out. So I was really hoping you were gonna say he identifies as a homo thug. <laughs> Um, just as Daniel was leaving, others were being drawn in. So Santos's sisters, Yalitza and Felicia, were introduced to Larry. Felicia was the oldest and she was actually, she had a medical degree and had started her residency in Los Angeles. So she didn't live in the house, but Larry began calling her regularly until he had convinced Felicia that people were after her. And he had convinced her that she couldn't go to the police because Bernard Carrick was in charge of them and after her, which is ridiculous because he was disgraced at this point. Like, he'd been in prison. He's not after them. 
Again, at all. he's finding these young, impressionable people. He's tricking them into believing that he is part of the CIA or has some yep. knowledge they don't have or knows something. Like, mm-hmm. fuck this guy. She eventually abandoned her residency program and moved in with them in New York and began no. a romantic relationship with Larry. No, no. that's it's not a romantic relationship. He it. refers to both Felicia and Isabella as his wife. On different occasions. But here's my frustration. Is like. The people who were already living in the house. These are people that he's torturing. Because he has access to them. Mm-hmm. She's far away. And he went after her. Like he actively called her to bring her back. Like that's not just like. Exerting control over the people around you. That's active recruiting. Yeah. Like it's crazy. To me. It seems like he name? likes the chase. Talia. Talia. Yeah. Okay. Sorry B. Yeah, it does seem like he likes the chase. He he likes getting his claws into somebody. Yeah. Um, he also has a long history of manipulating women. Um, according to people who knew him in the 90s, it was pretty common for him to offer sex with his girlfriend to friends and business associates. Ugh. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? When one girlfriend tried to leave the relationship, he sent graphic pictures of her to her parents. When a different girlfriend broke up with him, he purchased a GPS tracking device and tried to have it attached to her car. This so, dude is outside of his fucking mind. Yeah. In 2013, uh, Yelitsa's parents got a call from a doctor uh, at Mount Sinai Hospital that she had attempted suicide by swallowing a bottle of Tylenol and was in a coma. When she woke up, she was transferred to a hospital in White Plains, New Jersey, where her parents would visit her every day. One day, security wouldn't let them into her daughter's room. And if they wanted to meet with Yalitza's doctor, they had to do it with Larry present. How is that even possible? If she requests it, because she's an adult. Fuck. Yeah. Same thing happened to Claudia's parents in 2014. Their daughter, too, had swallowed a bottle of Tylenol, but they found a similar scene where Claudia would talk to Larry, but not to them. According to Claudia's mother, the nurse replied that this wasn't the first time they'd seen Larry. Because they knew about Yalitza. According to family and friends, Santos had also tried to take his own life. But since then, Isabella, Yalitza, and Claudia have all attempted suicide. Larry estimated their cumulative number of attempts at more than 12. No. Daniel, Talia, and Isabella graduated in the spring of 2013. Santos never graduated. Claudia graduated a semester late. And Larry attended her commencement ceremony. Her parents had set up a party for her, but left early because they didn't feel welcome. After graduation, she began working at a data data analytics firm, but the stress that Larry had put on her and her relationship caused both her parents to split up, and Claudia started living in hotels and working as an escort. No, honey. mm Mm-hmm. Her website advertised services for $8,000 a night, and she would give her profits to Larry in order to pay for the quote-unquote damages and amounts that she owed him. This fucking piece of shit. In 2014, Larry got evicted, especially because Chen didn't like all the modifications he had made to the apartment. What is he spending all his money on? He He's embezzling money from every person in this house. Mm-hmm. And Chen was very disturbed by the treatment of the young girls living in the apartment. Um, Larry responded by countersuing for the eviction, and the case went to trial in early 2015, and Claudia, Isabella, and Yalitza all testified as witnesses, but 
their testimonies are haunting. Essentially, they all tell various versions of the same story where they believe that they've known Larry almost their entire lives and that Bernard Carrick and Rudy Giuliani and potentially George W. Bush and Dick Cheney have been influencing them and sent them to Sarah Lawrence to potentially poison Larry. And that that's like they all believe that they're Manchurian candidates. What? To poison him. Despite never having tried to poison him. Like, they have lived in their bodies and remember what has happened to them. They know that they didn't try to poison him, but he has convinced them that they have. Yeah. Um, there's also a website, like, there's a video on a, a website where Claudia basically says, I never stopped poisoning Larry Ray and Talia Ray, as well as Felicia and Isabella. And then off screen, you can hear Larry say, are you making this of your own free will? And Claudia responds, yes, because I just want to tell the truth. Even though we all know it's not the truth. fucking lie, dude. Yeah. Um, Basically, whenever people talk to him, he just talks at them for 20 minutes until they're like, yeah, whatever. Fine. So that's kind of, imagine if you lived with somebody for like that for 10 years, you just eventually are like, yeah, I poisoned him. I don't he just wears people down. And he apparently believes himself that he has been poisoned and are still being poisoned. And when asked if he's romantically involved with Isabella and Felicia, he says that he hasn't been able to have sex in years on account of the poisoning, but even he knows that he hasn't been poisoned. Like that's what drives me insane. Like he's believing his own lies that are ridiculous. If he's being poisoned at all, it's just high cholesterol from all the fucking steak. Yeah, uh, he he lists a bunch of ailments that have happened as a result of the poisoning, and I'm like, yeah, that's fucking diabetes, asshole. <laughs> like, jeez. This is, I mean, this is a pretty common thing where pathological liars will believe their own lies, yeah. and it makes it easier. Like, that's how sometimes people can pass lie detector tests. He would definitely they pass. Genuinely believe their own lies. Yeah. Also, lie detector tests are bullshit. Yeah, they, they aren't but, effective. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Um, Larry claims to have lost touch with both Santos and Yelitsa, and their parents have not spoken to them since 2013. According to one source, are um, they missing? They're missing. Uh, Santos did spend some time in Bellevue Hospital Psychiatric Center, and at one point he lived in a homeless shelter as recently as 2016, but Yelitsa's never been heard from. No one knows where she is. Mm, no one I, officially knows where Santos is. I feel like he might have. I don't know that he killed them. Uh, I, I think he just, when when people are no longer in his clutches, I think he doesn't care. It's like, if he's lost you, you're gone. Like, if he can't get you back, like, I don't think he would necessarily kill somebody. I mean, maybe. I could be he wrong. He chokes someone out repeatedly. Like, he's, he's doing all of the things that abusive husbands do right before they kill their wife. Like, he's true. doing all those things. I feel like if he was going to kill somebody, it would have been one of the girls. One of be- his own? Or just a girl in the house? No, one of his own, I think, on accident. Mm. But they're all still alive. Because all of the, like, suicide attempts made me very suspicious. Because it could be them, could be him. It could be him doing it and telling them that later. Yeah. It could also be there were no suicide attempts, and he, like, plants that inside of them. 
You know what I mean? Well, no, I mean, they've been I mean, in the were, hospital. Yeah, yeah so the hospital ones. A few. That's yeah. what I mean. But I mean, like, yeah. the earlier ones could have been uh, planted. Yeah. Um, Isabella's family also hasn't heard from her, but she's not missing. The reporter was able to talk to her. Um, also, her aunt came out to talk to her at one point to try and bring her home, but she refused to come home. What the fuck? Um in early April of this year, Larry called the reporter. It sounded like, I'm not entirely sure the article's not fully clear, to say that he can't reach Claudia. But it's for good reason. Because Claudia had actually spoken to a former employer, and she told him that Larry had strapped her to a chair and put a plastic bag over her head until she almost passed out. Yeah. And she feared he might kill her. This is, he's he's doing all the things. So her employer bought her a ticket out of the city that night. Wow. She turned off her phone, left without packing any of her stuff, and is now currently receiving care. That's good. Yeah. Good, for her. yeah. So she got out, um, thankfully. So two weeks after Claudia left New York... Larry was still trying to find her. So we have emails that he sent after she left. Of course he was. Yeah. So he hasn't, thankfully. But yeah, like I said, this became a real downer. Yeah. The end. Um, but Daniel's out. Claudia's out. At least those two. Okay. But there are still some in and two missing. Do we know? But he's on the run, essentially. No, Not no, no. on the run, but... He's Do in we jail. Know? No, no, no. He's out. In, really? In New York. They interviewed him for this piece. They know where he lives? Of course he of course What they the do. fuck? None of it's illegal. Can't, no, can't can't any of these people press charges for like putting a plastic bag over someone's head until they pass out? It's like, potentially hard. she could, yeah. It would be hard to prove it, I think. That, that it was non-consensual? Yeah. Mm, no, it's that it's so it, clearly abusive. That it happened. That too. I guess that's true, especially if everyone else in the house is lying. Is going to testify, yeah, yeah, and Fuck. anyone who's gotten out of the house is basically immediately in treatment. Yeah, for and what's also happened to them. Reasonably scared of yeah. having to face their captors. Yeah. In, in the article, they basically said they contacted over fifty different people, and only a handful of them were willing to talk in the article. Jesus Christ! Yeah. This dude sounds super fucking scary. Yeah, dude. I, don't I uh, like it. Something bad's gonna happen. Yeah. I, uh, small palate cleanser, I guess. I got curious and I was trying to prove my theory that there are no good Larrys. <laughs> and so I have a list of famous Larrys. Okay. Um, Larry right. Bird, former NBA player. He's kind of a good dude. No, right? he's six foot nine. Anything over six foot five is just showing off in the face of God. Is that just because you're six foot five? Shut up. Larry the cable guy, um, bad guy. Uh, he lives he off of... He cuts sleeves off. He cuts his sleeves off. He's a sleeve murderer. Um, <laughs> he promotes Pepto-Bismol, which is... Uh, Pepto-Abysmal? <laughs> yeah, it's bad. You're supposed to have diarrhea like God intended. I mean, like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Larry King, uh, who is... that? He's not even trying to hide it. It's in his name. He's King of the Goblins. Larry King of the Goblins. Um... <laughs> terrifying older man who every time i saw him on this is true this is not a bit every time i saw him on tv he terrified me we, as he should he's a walking corpse he's yeah very scary he's well, hasn't he had like six wives or something yeah like eight <laughs> it's a lot consecutively he's the uh king of the goblins larry david too awkward don't like it uh it makes me feel uncomfortable every boom boom 
I forget how the theme goes. <laughs> I like that you just confidently charged into it, even though you didn't remember how it went. Yeah, I awkwardly forgot the theme so badly that they should play the theme of me <laughs> apologizing. Larry David, not good. Um, several other Larrys, all of which play in the NBA. <laughs> uh, guess it's a good. Ba- it's a it's a strong basketball name. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm sorry it was such a downer, but this is, yeah. If you see this dude in real life, maybe kick him in the balls or something. That's just my opinion. This dude allegedly kick allegedly him in kick the balls. him in the balls. Uh, allegedly kick him in his alleged, alleged balls. Alleged balls, yes. yeah. Thank you so <laughs> Thank much. You. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, Jesus this guy, I don't, I don't know. I just, I have a really bad feeling about those missing missing people me too i mean here's the thing i i do believe that i mean homelessness among people who leave cults is so common yeah because there's no safety net when you leave well yeah they've also they've convinced they've been convinced that their family is not safe yeah and Mm -hmm. will not accept them right and santos and yulitsa's parents have basically in the article said wherever you are if you read this come home we just love you you know like everything is forgiven it doesn't matter just yeah. come home but it's hard it's i mean it's hard to face we know personally yeah we know several comedians who become homeless because they've uh they're too deep in the in the lie of being successful in los angeles yeah and this happens in big cities like los angeles or new york it's so hard because of the housing crises it's so hard to find housing and you don't want to go back home a failure mm-hmm. or or if you have a fallout with your family as these people did you don't want to you are going to have to admit that you're wrong and you're going to have to go back with, in their mind, with yeah. their tail between their legs. And that's embarrassing and one of the worst things to a lot of people, even though it shouldn't be. People are more forgiving than you think some of the, most of the time. Yeah. It's just really bad. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I would not be surprised to find out that they ended up homeless after leaving. Yeah. And that that's why they have not been found. found. Yeah. I mean... We also pointed out that this is a violent man. Uh, guys, before we go, I do want to bring to your attention a um, conspiracy theory that I've heard about Okay, uh, that might be interesting to you guys. Is this um, the one where Beyonce is actually like 45? I'm sorry, what? Yeah. yeah how old is Beyonce actually? Beyonce is easily in her 40s. Hey, Google, how old is Beyonce? Bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Hear hear me out. Okay. I am 31, and Beyonce was in her early 20s when I was in high school. Hmm. Figure that shit out. I thought she was 16 in Destiny's Child. I, I thought, thought you she meant when, right really, now. When they started. Destiny's Child started when we were in, like, middle school. Because that would have meant yeah. that she and I yeah. were 16 at the same time. So she was, she was Destiny's preteen at that point. Yeah. Oh, I guess she was 16. She was Destiny's teenager. Yeah. She was Destiny's teenage daughter at that point. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I did not hear about that one. Oh, um, yeah. that's It's like a hardcore theory that no one can officially prove. But allegedly, she was a teenager with Gabrielle Union, who is almost 50. Wow. Just saying. New conspiracy theory. Jay-Z is immortal and has always lived, and he shows it uh, because he looks bad. 
I mean, he just looks his actual age. Yeah. Because he's like 50. No, he's a thousand. Uh, (laughs) He he was born... Parrots this, do grow to be fairly old. That's fair. He was born the same day as Larry King. Um, they grew up together. Oh, jeez. God, I hate Larry King. Anyway, I, <laughs> um, yeah, my conspiracy theory that I heard was that, uh, uh, so there's this company okay. called Open Skies Trading Company. Mm-hmm. All right. And for every purchase that you make. Now, I can't prove this. Okay. Um, but allegedly. But allegedly, in my opinion, every purchase that you make through Open Skies Trading Company, I think that they're sending a, a dollar to the National Parks Foundation. Follow the money. Follow the money. <laughs> Who makes money off of Open Skies? Keybono. Keybono. Halibut. <laughs> the halibut that live in the stream. They make money. Money doesn't grow on trees, but it's made out of trees. Conspiracy. Okay. Follow this. Okay. <laughs> the National Forests and our forestry uh, services are taken care of by uh, a government organization. And the government organization is who gives out hunting permits and who needs to go hunting dick cheney follow the money open skies trading company is run by dick cheney who found oil in uh <laughs> in yellowstone national park okay this has been good uh open skies trading company, when we're dead just yeah. know it was dick cheney <laughs> oh my god uh, open skies trading company is a great place they sell uh they sell shirts they sell uh dog collars um they sell military grade equipment to iraqi uh <laughs> no they do not they uh they fund the taliban and um, the avengers initiative yeah uh, allegedly allegedly they funded a mission accomplished party um and they're out to get larry the ray's that, kids they're the ones that printed that banner that yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my god they were <laughs> anyway open skies trading company nefarious group of uh billionaires they're truly the one percent of the clothing company um <laughs> You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at Open Skies Trading Co. That's Open Skies Trading Co. Or you can find their website, which is openskiestrading.com. Go ahead and use promo code Dick Cheney for immediate death. He will kill you if you do that. Uh, he'll find you and shoot you on a hunting trip. And then you'll have to apologize. Bad man. Use promo code Dick Cheney and uh, and get one heart off of your your purchase. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say one heart on because it's hard on. Ha ha! Yeah, Dick Cheney. Oh man, who's taking bets on whether or not Dick Cheney can get, still get hard? Anyone? 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 I don't no? know, but I think the W and W stands for Wang. Hey. Hey. Hey, listen. If you want to send me your favorite conspiracy theory, or tell me that I'm wrong and Beyonce is actually thirty, yeah, pr- please present evidence for or against my theory of Beyonce being forty-five. Um, I think she's in her early forties, like forty-two. Okay. That's not unbelievable. Because the thing is, is like when you're a pop star. The image that you want to portray is young. Because mm-hmm. when you're young, you look beautiful, you look great, your pores still develop oil. Oil. Who makes money off the oil of the young? <laughs> Dick Cheney. Follow the money. <laughs> I will say, uh, her homecoming special is spectacular. And mm-hmm. for a 40-something-year-old woman, she looks amazing. Yeah. It's it's more impressive if she's in her 40s. Dick Cheney made money off of Beyonce. So if you want to send me your uh, conspiracy theories... 
Um, you can do so at uh, Mondo Does Stuff on Instagram and Twitter. That's M A N D O Does Stuff. You can also go to my new website, which is MondoDoesStuff.com. You can find uh, show dates, where I'm going to be, information, clips of me doing stand up, pictures. The true link to my conspiracy between me and Dick Cheney. Who made money off of Armando doing comedy? Dick Ch- Okay, I'm done. It's <laughs> over. Anyway, yeah. M-A-N-D-O does stuff. All one word. Thank you. Bye. Um, I am real sorry for bumming you guys out. Apologies. Um, Who made money off of sadness? How about- okay. That was the last one, I promise. Um as of, let's see, this is coming out on Monday. So tomorrow I'm battling Doug Fager at the comedy <gasps> store. Get it, girl. Get it. And then June 6th, I'll be battling Dan Nolan at the Ontario Improv for <laughs> Roast <laughs> Battle Live. Fuck yeah, girl. Yeah. Nice. Definitely come out to that. Tickets are already available on the Improv's website. Cool. Um, you can send me all of your... Um, Theories about other famous people who are lying about their age. Please do. Arnold Schwarzenegger is lying about his height. Oh. I'll I'll accept height lies, too. Arnold Schwarzenegger claims that he's... I want to say he claims that he's six foot five. He's a big dude. But he's not... He's not six foot five. Well, probably There's, not anymore. He's really older. No, 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 no. I'll show you guys the evidence offline. I don't want to like okay, derail this. Fine, fine, but fine, straight fine, up, fine. he's lying about his height. Follow his inches, Halliburton. <laughs> <laughs> also, I realized That's not funny on, on the uh, on the bonus episode that aired today on Friday. I yeah. talked at length about Bloodsport, which is amazing. So if you want to discuss Bloodsport or post your favorite Bloodsport memes, feel free to send those to at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram. I cut out about two minutes, but... I'm sure. I know. So and, you much still, more. and you still left some. Well, because some of it was like, this is necessary. This needs to be in there. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey guys. Uh, I can't think of anything nice or good right now because I'm very sad about this episode. I'm sorry. Uh, but if you want to send me just pictures of kittens or things that make you happy that aren't murder... Did you say kittens? Um, yeah. Did... Dick Cheney own Big Cat. Okay, we're safe. Okay. I'm pretty uh, sure Dick Cheney has owned some pussy in his time. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so please, please send me some cool things uh, on all the things at Sundress Comic. If you want to see show dates where I'll be, uh, we're going to be doing some stuff coming up, so just follow me there. Also, um, if you want to follow my art, at Andre Gazetta on Instagram. I'm going to start doing some cool sticker giveaways and things like that. And I've been posting the paintings that I've been doing for the 30 by 30. So Yay. If you like art and you want to see Mondo's face more, check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hey, if you like the show, um, you shouldn't. We're a government conspiracy to uh, make you feel okay about the evils that live in this world. We and order it- pizza while recording. It's covered in <laughs> grease. Grease is similar to oil. Who benefits from oil? Halliburton. Halliburton. <laughs> this bit has gone so far. <laughs> no, it's stayed in exactly the same space. It's just been used a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is the treadmill of jokes. Anyway, um, yeah, if you like our show... I'm glad. I'm glad you do. I'm, I'm glad you muscle through it. Uh, you should follow us on Instagram at Colt Podcast. Or on Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can also send us an email with a suggestion for a cult feedback or conspiracy theories at and just send those to Colt Podcast Show at gmail.com. Or you can send us your actual evidence 
for string charts and whatnot. Bad. Send me yarn. So yeah, I can send us yarn so we can house. set up strings, strings for conspiracy yeah. theories. It has to be red. Yeah. Wait. Specifically wait, red wait, yarn. Wait, 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 wait. Who owns big yarn? Dick Cheney. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck, you guys. Uh, send us yarn for our conspiracy theories. Or at, sweaters. Or sweaters at 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number, number 237. 237. Like, like the Shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. Who owns big sweater? Oh, it's Weezer. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and if you want any of that information, uh, our address, our email address, uh, information about us, and other stuff that's coming up soon, you can follow us. You can go to our website, which is coltpodcastshow.com. And I think for this one, don't eat the steak dinners. No! I love it, though. No, I love steak. Beware Larry's bearing gifts. Oh, God, yeah. Mm. All Larry's are bad. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye! Bye. I actually have an Uncle Larry. He's pretty cool. I just remembered that. (laughs) We talk about so many Larrys. (laughs)